Welcome, welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. So excited to have you here today. So excited that I'm going to be talking to a good friend, an attorney. She's been an attorney for a long time. I've known her for a long time. Her name is Jessica Tripp, and she started out as an assistant district attorney, meaning she represented the state against people in an effort to convict them of crimes. And then she became a defense attorney, which is what she does now. And she's very good at it. She's very busy. And I'm going to be talking to her about what it's like to be a woman in that world, because until fairly recently, this was much more of a man's world than a woman's world, being in a criminal courtroom. So I speak with her about navigating that um, I also speak to her about her brother's suicide and how she has become very active with the Samaritans in suicide prevention. It's a cause that's near and dear to her for understandable reasons. She's a very sweet woman and uh, she's a very smart woman. She's a very tough woman and I'm happy to call her a friend and colleague. Uh, if you want something that's sweet but not tough, you're going to want Abe's muffins because they are so easy to digest and easy to give out because they don't have any crap in them. They just taste amazing. So find a way to get yourself some Abe's muffins. I know they've been expanding where they're going. You can follow them on social media and see where they're going next. They're available in a lot of great stores. Um, and tell me what you think of this show by coming to my website, isthatreallylegal.com. Uh, you can leave us notes about how you're enjoying it and what you'd like to see in the future. Uh, but without any further ado, let's talk to Jessica Tripp because she's a really cool person and you're going to learn a lot. So here's Jessica Tripp. Jessica Trent, welcome to Is That Really Legal? I'm so, I am so happy to talk to you again. Um, you and I have been attorneys, well, I've been longer than you have, but we've known each other for <laughs> years. I don't want to say how long, but it's probably over a decade. I would say so. And it, again, it's so nice to see you. It's been so long and thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. What, what I love is that when you and I met, you had tried a case and I handled the appeal. And you were, and you still are, incredibly cooperative, easygoing. Being a trial attorney in criminal matters in a big city like Boston is not an easy job. I just want to back up a little bit and talk about how did you even get there? So you grew up in the Boston area, right? Um, sort of. I grew up um, in Walpole, which is a suburb um, about a half an hour outside of Boston, um, but a completely different world um, than the world of Boston. And especially, um, you know, getting into criminal law, um, as I think, you know, I started out um, with the district attorney's office, um, which is what I what I wanted to do. I, I went to law school because I wanted to help um, you know victims of sexual assault and domestic violence. And that was my thing with the DA's office, um, I had a really hard time in the beginning relating to a lot of um, my victims because, you know, they would look at me and see someone that looked nothing like them 
and would say well, to me, you know, is that because you're a white girl from the suburbs who went to Catholic school? <laughs> you can leave out the Catholic school part, but yes. Oh, um, oh okay. Sorry. I thought you did. Yes. My bad. No, no, uh, no, I, I'm a public school girl. Um, Got it. And even more so when I, you know, when I left and went into defense, I, I, you know, most of my, most of my clients are young black men and they would just say to me, how, how can you possibly understand my situation? And, you know, I would always say to them, you're right. I, I didn't live your life, but I'm here, I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn. I like, teach me. Um, you know, I, just because we don't look alike doesn't mean I don't care and I'm not going to fight for you. Uh, to the best of my ability. And, you know, after doing this a little over 10 years, I think they finally, they, they see that now. <laughs> you have what I would call rabid fans. Your clients are big <laughs> fans of yours. So almost frighteningly so. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yep. Um, they can be a little aggressive sometimes. I think that's one of the difficult parts of, of being a female and doing this job is is sometimes your you know your caring and your compassion is <laughs> misconstrued um and they they don't they tend to not see you so much as a lawyer anymore as more of like you know either family or you know in maybe a romantic way which of course is not the case i you know i always reaffirm to them i am your lawyer i am not your girlfriend um but yeah, as you know, as you know, I've I've gotten some you know over the years some very interesting letters and gifts. So you know, keeps a smile <laughs> on my face. You know, <laughs> I have to admit that I've never gotten those, and it's just as much as we're joking about it, I don't want to make light of the fact. And we're going to go into that. Being right. a woman doing what you're doing, I don't understand that either as a guy, but I see it. Um, I'm going to back up a second. You you went to Boston College. Um, and then you went to Suffolk Law School, right? Was, yeah. The, did, the, yeah. And that's a very traditional Boston lawyer kind of setup. Um, Boston College, great school, Jesuits. Suffolk yep. Law School, literally located in the heart of where all the courts are downtown in Boston. Yes. Um, I've even been a moot court judge at Suffolk more than a few times, um, okay. and, which is great. Uh, but as a guy, um, and I'm, I am older than you, and I started out in New York, and I practiced both in New York and Boston, I would walk into crowded courtrooms and lawyer rooms, especially in New York, back when I started, they had rooms where lawyers would hang out, and they would read newspapers, and they smoked. <laughs> that shows how old I am, kids. They <laughs> smoked cigars and cigarettes, and told stories most of them probably in retrospect not appropriate but they told lots of stories <laughs> um i don't remember a single woman in any of those rooms now i'm talking about the mid 80s now 1980s um and since then uh, i've seen many more women in courts obviously um women judges women prosecutors women defense attorneys but there's still a very aggressive kind of ambiance, if you will, in criminal courtrooms. Would you agree with that? Or how would you, how would you characterize it? Um, hmm, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, I think things are, are, have come a long way from that. Um, I think there's definitely a lot more um, 
female attorneys, more um, attorneys of color of both genders. Um, I think, you know, it's getting better. Our, you know, this, I practice mostly and, and live in Suffolk County. Um, and our most recently elected district attorney um, is a black female. Um, and that's a position that has traditionally been held by what people like to call, <laughs> you know, old white men. Um, so, right. And she was kind of an upset. Nobody, nobody thought she was, was going to win. Um, and she's still an upset in many ways. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I will, yeah. Well, uh, we may end up talking about that, but just so it's right. clear, for those of you that don't live in the Boston area, Suffolk County includes Boston, but also Somerville, I think. And no, no not Somerville. Is it not, just Boston? It's basically just Boston um, and yeah. Chelsea. Ah, okay, thanks. Not to, and Cambridge is very close, but it's not Boston. And all you people who come and visit, don't make that mistake. People freak okay. out. A hundred percent do not make that mistake. Um, they're, a, they are Middlesex County and it could not be more night and day as to how defendants are treated. So I believe that people in Suffolk refer to Cambridge as the People's Republic of Cambridge. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that used. Um, I personally just call it Cambridge, but I have heard that used. <laughs> um, when you started out, uh in the district attorney's office um was it seems to me that there's a trajectory for people who go to the district attorney's office you start out one of the great things is you get in court every day you get overwhelmed and you quickly learn how to sink or swim with the notion that you're going to see literally hundreds of cases a day you grab a file you may not know what is going on you learn on the fly the judges make demands, your fellow prosecutors make demands, defense attorneys make demands, and you have to learn how to sink or swim, as I said, in that world. And then, is that accurate? I mean, it seems that way. Yes, yes. I mean, I think, you know, it may depend on what court you're in or, you know, and again, I'm speaking from my, just from my own experience when, you know, 20 years ago, um, I think I had my first jury trial within the first month I was there and I showed up one morning expecting to be in doing arraignments or pretrials or whatever. And they said, hey, so-and-so called out sick. This is on today, here you go. You know, the victim's here, your officer's here, you know, and I, I just, I, I never opened the, it wasn't my case. I'd never read the police report. I had never tried a case. I had to go out and speak with the victim with an interpreter and try and explain to her what was going on. It was one of the most horrifying days ever because I just, it was so overwhelming. You just, you know, it's. But it's like be. It's like wanting to be a surgeon, and on your like third day of residency, they hand you a scalpel and say, "Let's get into this." <laughs> um, I started as an attorney for a major insurance company in house, and then I went to uh, several large firms. I didn't try any jury trial for the first several years of my legal life, um, and they're complicated. It's not like Law and Order on TV. These things take a long time, and yes. people's lives literally hang in the balance. Uh, yeah. So it's not something to be taken lightly. But you quickly, I believe, learn whether you want to be a litigator or not. Very quickly. Um, it's, like being a fighter pilot or not. Right. 
<laughs> right. This is not, this is not for everyone. Um, this is not for someone looking for a, like a nine to five kind of job. Um, you, you know, DA or, you know, defense attorney, you know, people call me at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night and they apologize, you know, I'm really sorry. And it's like this, no, this is you, you're my client. You need me. You have a question. Something's like this, this is, you know, this, this is, this is why I'm all gray now. Like, this is <laughs> you're, who are you talking to? Um, right. We're both gray, but yeah, I've got it. I mean, and sometimes for me, even though it's not always defense, uh, my clients live full lives and sometimes they need to talk to me in the evening and I just make a lot allowances for that. That's part of being in service or being of service to people. Sure. Um, and clearly you are that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've gotten, I mean, one former client, you know, had some issues and called me at 6am on a Sunday and said, I, you know, I'm not talking over the phone, but I need to see you. And I knew him well enough. If that's what he said, it was an emergency. And okay, Father I, Patrick, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was in my office at 630 in my pajamas, like, okay, here we are. What's up? <laughs> but I mean, I think that also, you know, especially, you know, Boston's, you know, while it's it's big, it's also small. So especially, you know, the communities that we're, um, you know, that I service and have, you know, a lot of clients from that, you know, they talk and they, you know, they know the attorneys that, you know, are going to be there for them and are going to, you know, be responsive to them. And, you know, especially if, you know, they're, you know, paying somebody to represent them, you know, it's not money that they come by easily. So it's, you know, it's very frustrating for them if they, you know, come up with all this money and pay an attorney and then the attorneys, you know, thanks, <laughs> and non-responsive, which I get a lot of calls from people that say, you know, oh, I hired this person and, you know, and it's, you know, I, I pride myself on being there for my, you know, for my clients, you know, whether it, you know, screws up my weekend or, you know, whatever, that's, that, this is the job I chose. And I, I think you and I have that in common. I learned very early on in my career that the biggest complaints that people have about attorneys are that they can't get them on the phone yes. and that they never let them know what's going on with their case. And right. so as a result, I have several numbers that ring to my cell phone uh, because I wanna be able to be, you know, so I have a couple of different offices, but now that we're in the pandemic and I'm working from home, everything rings to me and that phone is pretty much right next to me all the time. And yeah. also, even if nothing is happening on a case, which happens a lot with, criminal appeals and estate stuff and other things I do. I make sure that every couple of weeks, my clients hear from me, even if it's just a letter saying, hey, just want to let you know nothing new has happened. I'm still keeping an eye on this. As soon as I hear anything, I'll let you know. It preempts a problem. And they also realize you're, you're actually thinking of them. Their money it means something. You're really working for them. Right. And a lot of, you know, as you know, I, I do not only private cases, but I also um, am contracted with the state to take um, cases for indigent people. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they don't, they don't have family that's supportive. They don't, like, they don't have anybody else. Nobody's coming to visit them. Nobody's writing them letters. So, you know, I may be the only, you know, non-correctional officer face they see, right. uh, you know, and, you know, prior to the pandemic i mean it was it was pretty routine that you know saturday or sunday morning i was at one or the other of the local you know facilities visiting clients and you know the the guards at the front desk got to you know they got to know me they would always joke and if i missed a weekend 
the next weekend when I'd come, they were like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> you didn't come last weekend. And I was like, guys, I'm sorry. Like I, I wanted a day to myself. I know that's a lot to ask, but like I needed a break. <laughs> and you know, what's interesting is for people who've never been in a prison or a jail, and there is a difference and maybe we'll get to it. If not Google it, it's pretty clear. But um, yeah. in, in Massachusetts, um, they are not pretty lovely places. And um, I am always treated with respect when I go. I've never had a problem with the exception of one time when I was told I should have called a day ahead. And I think that was a special situation where they wanted to harass me. And I won't go into it, but the long and short of it is, you know, I show up in my suit and tie and I look like a professional and I'm, it's not my first rodeo. Right. But I'm also, because I'm a man, and I'm 6'3", and I can, I just feel like I can handle myself. I'm not an idiot when I walk into a prison, but I'm not, uh, I would think it would be different for a woman. Now, I'm not going to go into how tall or short you are, but anything about them, but you, being a woman, I just assume it's got to be a different experience. Because what people don't know is, first of all, we have to empty our pockets. We're not allowed to bring in anything, except you can keep your wedding ring if you have one and a watch, a pen. They look at your file to make sure you don't have any loose paper clips. Uh, you can't have your phone with you. Um, and you're going into a locked up place with a bunch of people who either have been convicted of or certainly accused of a variety of unsavory things. and many people don't realize this correction officers do not carry weapons because no. they would only be used against them so it's a completely different culture inside and then you are escorted depending on the situation depending on the prisoner jail you're either in a big open room or more likely you're in a closed room with a window and you wait there for anywhere from five minutes to an hour <laughs> until they decide to bring you or your client. Or, right. I mean, if you go <laughs> and they say, oh, we're, we have a special lockdown situation. We're not sure when it's going to end, but you're staying with us. And like, or, oh, you came at mealtime. Yep. And it's 10 o'clock in the morning. You're like, what? <laughs> what? No, that's lunch. <laughs> so in any event, eventually your client comes in. And depending on who they are and which prison, they either walk in just wearing a jumpsuit or they come in shackled or you go into a room where they're shackled to a wall or behind a glass enclosure. Um, so all of this is not what everybody faces in their everyday work situation. Now that I've painted that sort of bizarre picture, um, what was that like for you and yeah. how is it now? Um, I mean, starting out, it was um, definitely very intimidating, um, especially uh, for the um, Nashua Street Jail, because as, as I'm sure you know, they're set up when you meet with people, you're essentially on the unit. Um, you're in a room off the unit, but the glass door opens up to the unit. So while you're meeting with your, with your client, of course, everyone else who's out and wandering around is curious what's going on. And, you know, they, they start doing laps to see what's going on. And again, coming from the district attorney's office, in my head was always, there's a fair chance one of these people on the other side of this door, I put here. So that, you know, that piece of it was concerning. And also, 
you know, as you, and I mean, I'm happy. I, I'm five, six. I'm not, you know, I'm not very tall. I'm not very, as much as I wish I was, I'm not very strong. Um, you know, and it, there's been maybe, I think, honestly, I think there was only one time where I really felt nervous and it was a situation where the kid was on the other side of a glass anyway. I mean, right. that's how aggressive he got that it, like, it made me that nervous, but I, it was, I was, you know, there, there was no way he could get at me. Um, but I could see how it would, you know, and, and again, I think now, you know, at least from what I'm, what I'm told is my reputation precedes me. Um, you know, so they, I've never had anyone, you know, get aggressive with me or, or I take that back. There was one other gentleman that, you know, the guards came pretty quickly because I think they thought <laughs> I oh. might go to the table. Um, well, I think it's also important for people to understand you and I also have an understanding that we're the only person often, as you said, who that person has on their side. For right. them to do anything to jeopardize that relationship would be absolutely beyond stupid. And while people have made some incredibly bad choices to, or interesting choices that have landed them at that table with us, right. um, in general, my experience is they're not stupid. They often have imagination that goes in the wrong direction or they're playing checkers instead of chess. And I don't mean that they're not smart. I just mean they're only thinking one move ahead and they're not thinking five moves ahead but they still understand that if they ever did anything to jeopardize an attorney, they're gonna have a big problem moving forward in their lives. I mean, this is really, you know, and I've never, I've never, I've never heard of any problem with a woman attorney, uh, but I just, I think if I were smaller and, and, you know, having all the baggage that society is throwing at me, you know, I, I might, I'm glad you gave me this information. I just want people to understand and have an experience. I feel like times have changed and now uh, I see less of that inequality in sort of everyday experiences in courtrooms too. I mean, most of the district attorneys or assistant district attorneys they deal with are women. Um, they are all, all ADAs seem to me to be tough cookies uh, that I deal with. And I'll say that about guys too, so I don't mean to be diminutive, um, but also, they're not stupid. Um, uh, we're all doing a job. Sometimes I question some of the decisions made at the higher levels, but I think people in the trenches know, look, I'm gonna see this person every day. We have to have some kind of relationship. Yes, and that is so important. I mean, and I, I feel very lucky to, most of the work I do is in Suffolk County. And I mean, the, the DAs in that office are phenomenal. I mean, you know, we, we can, agree to disagree and we can get in there and fight it out in front of a judge but at the you know we can both walk out of that courtroom and you know still be not necessarily friends but i mean friendly and professional i mean it's a it's a job none yeah, of we're colleagues is, we're professional colleagues correct correct none of, none of this is personal um, right right um i do know that only recently have any hassles involving being a woman in this job have been from the corrections department. Um, I know that there have been times when women were being frisked or being asked to remove parts of their clothing 
that are yeah. so you and I probably belong to similar associations, uh, bar and defense, et cetera. Um, sure. And there was a while uh, where women were being asked to take their bras off. Yes. Uh, and I have to tell anyone listening, I've never heard of a defense attorney who's ever wanted to bring anything into a prison they're not supposed to bring because it's the stupidest thing ever. You jeopardize your well-being, you jeopardize your profession. And Jessica and I spent a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of agita or an aggravation becoming lawyers in the first place and staying lawyers. Correct. I could not imagine jeopardizing that for any single client in any stupid move, like bringing in contraband. So it felt that when, when this happened a couple of years ago, um, and they were suddenly saying, well, underwire bras can trigger this or whatever. Oh, yes. uh, a lot of us were like, this is ridiculous. And I don't know what, yeah, did you, did, were you aware of all of that? And oh, yes. Have you ever yes. had a hassle involving the corrections people? Um, I will say more on the state level as opposed to the county level. Um, and just so people understand that there's two levels of, well, there's prisons and there's houses of correction. Um, the houses of correction are at the county level. So every county, the sheriff's office of each county runs the house of correction in that county. Um, some, maybe it's only Suffolk has more than one, but in any event, the prisons are part of the mass Massachusetts correctional institutions, and they are for people who have had more significant convictions for more time, and they are much more serious places, quite honestly, um, yes. with much more stringent rules. I've had times where people, I won't say which one, in the House of Corrections, where they'll let me walk in with my my wallet and my keys or something. Um, I'm like, really? Okay. Yeah. Depends, on, depends on who you get sometimes at some of these. Like, are you sure you don't want me to take that off? Like, I, uh, yeah, okay. Like, but, <laughs> but there's particular high security places where I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't get strip searched. Um, and those are, and I understand why. Those are very serious places. But in any event, please. Yeah, no, um, you're right. I mean, they are obviously very serious places and have, you know, inmates, you know, some of whom are doing life. So they, you know, they, you know, they kind of have nothing to lose. So, you know, of course, they're concerned about them getting access to anything, um, which I, of course, as you said, we're, you know, never going to jeopardize our careers by trying to bring something in. But um, I remember giving, being given a hard time once about having a nicotine patch on. Um, they made me take that off. Um, way back when I had someone else tell me I had to take my belly ring out, which I couldn't physically do because it was, had been in for so long. It, it doesn't come out. That was a, about a two hour argument. Um, I did have another place where I had to go with a female officer and basically not lift my shirt up, but I had to lift my bra up and kind of like shake to make sure nothing came out. Um, Sorry, that's just. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have a twelve-year-old self, so I was giggling. And I apologize. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, you know, and it's unfortunately you're kind of in that situation where, you know, you know it's wrong, you know it's ridiculous, but at the same time, if you refuse, they're not going to let you see your client. Right, so, and sometimes you've driven an hour or more 
because it's not just that you're seeing someone at the local jail. There are in the prison system, there are places way out in the wilderness. Most, yeah, most of the ones that I would, would go to are out in Shirley. And thankfully there's three of them kind of clustered together. So that would be kind of, you know, my Saturday road trip would be, you know, heading out to Shirley, have my, you know, my list and would go from one to one to one, and, you know, get everybody in. Um, so yeah, that's, a, that's that might. I'm sorry, but people don't, maybe they don't understand when you and I do the kind of work we do when we get assignments from the state, because I, I like to tell people we're sort of, we're independent public defenders. We're not in the public defender's office, but Correct. there's two aspects. There's sort of a public defender's office, but then they have outside counsel who do this kind of work. That the state appoints us and pays us. And just so everybody's clear, it's a fraction of what you and I would get for our personal yeah. uh, rate. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's fraction. I'm not complaining. I'm happy to do the work, but just so they don't, you know, try. I get one day I turned to my wife and I said, do you realize I get paid less than my masseuse on these cases? <laughs> and I love, I love getting a massage and I think it's worth it, but I just want to say Same, I have the equivalent of a PhD. Right. <laughs> and the law, which was by the way, not easy. Just throwing it out there. And I right. spent 30 plus years perfecting my craft so i'm just saying you know it should be worth more than a foot rub but that's another conversation right okay so we used to joke in the da's office that you know literally we qualified for housing with what we made um oh that's right by the way yeah the district attorneys who work their tails off and i have no I have nothing but respect for 95% of everybody who works there. They are young people working their rear ends off and they have ridiculous student debt because college and law school. Uh, yeah. But anyway, my point was that in order to do our jobs well and, and still be able to have some money come out of it, we try to put a bunch of our cases together in one trip so yes. that we don't waste time and money. And we can take care of the most people possible within that arrangement. So it's not unusual for people like us to see three clients in one prison at a time. And, you know, it's always disappointing when you get there, even though you've called the day before and they say, oh yeah, we transported that person somewhere else. Thank you. Or, <laughs> or, oh, they were deported. Didn't anybody tell you? Right, yeah, that, that's uh, another thing. It's, I, and if you can't see it, Jessica's a, about to fall over with frustration. <laughs> um, and, and I understand. And one of the reasons I talk to people about these things this early is I assume we're not going to be drinking yet. So we will right. be honest, but not so honest that it will get us in trouble. Fair. Very <laughs> but, good call, Eric. But if, Very if good you're call. welcome. But if you're like me, <laughs> if you're like me during this lockdown, the pandemic, you've perfected your Negroni. <laughs> a recipe or apple yeah. spritz or I don't know what you're I'm you know what I'm just gonna guess and it could be the pro I'm guessing you're a shot in a beer girl uh is that possible although I've seen you in vacation pictures because we are friends I've seen you drink things with umbrellas in them so yeah. anything's possible I, I it kind of depends on the day some days it's you know I'm a 
vodka lemonade girl. Other day, today's kind of feeling like a margarita day. I don't, I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't think it's Taco Tuesday, but oh, it's Thursday. It's Taco Thursday. So yeah, that's when we're recording it. I don't know when this is gonna go up. I don't have a set. Oh, fair. <laughs> and I just want to be clear for anyone who's concerned about either me or just we really don't drink until we're done working. Oh God, of course, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and even as I speak to you now, I see that I got an email and I've been assigned a couple of new cases. Oh. So I have something else to do today. <laughs> yeah, as well, what, what's, uh, what you and I were talking about before I think we started was that um, you and I have, and people who do what we do, at least the court appointed stuff, we're busier than ever because the courts are primary closed, primarily closed except for emergencies. But that actually means our clients need to be in contact with us even more than ever, because right. there's still things that are happening. And what people don't realize is the courts are closed, but people like you and I are on the phone with clerks and judges and doing hearings by phone or Zoom. I had appellate arguments on Zoom. I'm sorry, all day you said? Uh, yeah, all, I, I think I had five Zoom meetings yesterday, um, including a plea, um, a status hearing, uh, by the end of the, by five o'clock came and I was I was done. I it just I can't, I can't I just I can't do another thing. I, You're doing pleas by Zoom. Kind of against everyone's advice. Um, I would only. I well, only, I'm not. I, I I don't say it with surprise in my voice that you're somehow doing anything inappropriate because I don't think it's inappropriate. I'm just, I I just want to be clear for people who are listening that my my surprise is that. I just, I didn't realize that people were doing please by Zoom, but well, why, why don't you talk about it? Because I, I, I think it could be a great way to take care of a client who just wants to resolve their matter and get on with their lives. So Right, and, I, and we've been doing it, uh, it, it's happening very in very, very limited circumstances. I haven't heard a whole lot of people that are choosing to do it. Um, my client had a somewhat unique situation where he is, he's held on dangerousness. Um, All right. So just so people are clear, because I, it, it, so there's uh, such things as dangerousness hearings in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And those are specifically, um, hearings are done to determine whether someone is so dangerous that even before their case can be heard, they must be held without bail. That's correct. a very, there's a specific statute that provides for the procedures involved. There's a lot of conversations about how constitutional it is or not amongst attorneys. <laughs> but the reality is sadly, it's been decided it's constitutional. So we just have to roll with the punches. Is that, is that fair to say? Uh, yes, and the SJC just recently decided, you know, the, the time limits are out the window as well. So, so. The, the SJC being the Supreme Judicial Court, which is the highest court in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and when Jessica's talking about the time limits, in essence, what this law allows the state to do is to hold somebody indefinitely, even though technically they haven't been convicted of a crime. Correct. And normally for Superior Court, which is where this case is, um, you know, they are entitled to a trial within 180 days, which for this young man, it would have, his trial date would have been August, um, although that's not a realistic date because we're not expected to have jurors until at least September. 
Um, it's a very, it was a very triable case in some ways, in some ways not so much, um, but he was offered time served and a year of probation. Oh my God, so, yeah, and you, I, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm interjecting. So I just wanna break it down for people who aren't attorneys or who might be attorneys and don't know this area at all. Um, so um, time served literally means what you think it means. It means if this person pleads guilty right now, they will be guilty and it will be on their record, but they will walk out the door and get on with their life. Their life. Now, of course, pleading guilty to certain charges uh, creates consequences for the rest of their life. Without getting too deep into it, felonies uh, make things much more challenging. Sex crimes make things much more challenging. Um, if you are not a citizen of the United States, crimes can have an impact on your ability to stay in the United States, whether or not you have a green card even, because certain crimes could jeopardize your residency. I mean, it's very complicated. Um, another example of talk to a lawyer, don't try to wing this. Don't listen to a friend who tells you they know what to do, unless that friend's a lawyer and you pay them. Uh, because I can't tell you how many times people look at me with a puzzled look when I tell them the reality of what happened. And they said, oh yeah, but my bunkmate told me he got this with his lawyer. It's like, you have to think of this as a fishing story. People tell you the fish that got away is really big. You know what I mean? But in reality, it wasn't that big. And in fact, it wasn't even a fish. Take the advice of your cellmate or, you know, is it like, you know, you're all in this together. There's a reason you like, they, you might want to consider listening to what I'm saying. I mean, at the end of the day, you're the client. You can, you know, you decide. But I'm just, I'm just saying, I've kind of been doing this a while. I went to school for this. You may want to listen to me. But... And I'm not incarcerated. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> just throwing that out there. I have managed to keep myself out of, out of jail all these years. So I might have a clue. I don't just, you know, just. I don't say. think it was that hard. I don't think you're a yeah, no, crazy no. person, but for some no. people at the bar, I'm amazed. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been, uh, no, I, I behave myself, so. <laughs> I, right, and so uh, the idea of walking out of prison is a good one for most people, especially at a time of COVID. When I'm going to tell people right now, we are not hearing, most people are not hearing what's really happening inside of prisons and jails, which is that the virus is spreading and it's yeah. really problematic. And one of the things that you and I are doing is trying to get people out on parole or a variety of things to, you know, with, with GPS, whatever it is, because frankly, you shouldn't die for a crime that you were actually sentenced to a year in the House of Correction. You know, if you're a drunk driver and it's your second or third offense, I get it. We have statutes that say you need to go to prison or jail. Or, and or if you, you know, you violated a protective order, uh, you've been warned not to do it. All right, you're going to spend some time. And that should be the punishment. The punishment shouldn't be, and then you get to die in jail from a terrible disease. <laughs> right. And it's even more problematic for the people that are held pre-trial because they're they're held on on bail because they can't afford to post the bail they haven't even been convicted yet and I, there is definitely a fair amount of corona going around um that at least the house of correction I, i'm told 
from various clients who have contracted uh, COVID, um, they have set up a, a separate unit where anybody in either the jail or the house of correction that tests positive, they're all quarantined together to a specific unit. And how well that's working, I don't know. Um, and by the way, and, and I don't think I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this, the state institutions involved are not being forthcoming about how bad it is in there. You and I get information from various agencies that we work with, but the truth is some places they're just not testing or they haven't done enough testing. And I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you're getting information I'm not getting, but I think honestly, they're just not telling the public about what's going on in these prisons and, and houses of correction. Right, and, and I can say honestly, it's not, it's not an issue I've really you know researched a lot or looked into all that much. I'm you know, my experience with it is coming anecdotally from my clients that are actually in. Um, but I know there have been different um, attorneys that have, you know, have been pushing for that information. I, I believe there's a committee um, that I think they're getting information regularly. But, um, you know, again, I'm getting it from just, you know, from clients, you know, and I, and I ask them all the time, you know, what is, are people wearing masks? What, you know, how are they? You know. I mean, you can't social distance in a prison. I, again, if you've never been in one, I just want to tell you folks, it's not like there's large open spaces. And it depends on the age of the institution. There's a place called Ash Street that I can't remember where it is, but it looks like Shawshank, you know, with the tiers. Yeah. And you walk in, your meeting is, like you said, in amongst the tiers. And right. I see people giving each other haircuts <laughs> and things okay. in prison. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I haven't been there in quite some time because since the virus, I'm just not going to prisons or jails because I have a, a wife with a situation I'm not going to get her sick. Um, but I still i am on the phone a lot with clients um, and obviously letters. I want to transition from this talk, though, because I have a limited amount of time. And I love talking to you, and the time is flying. So besides, besides being such a zealous advocate for your criminal clients. I know you have a real estate practice and I know you do estate planning like I do, which has been sadly very busy and important during Corona. I keep trying to tell people, I know you're young and healthy and nobody wants to talk about this, but you should have some paperwork to make the lives of other people easy you know, uh, healthcare proxies or medical directives, things like that. Because every, you know, there are people who are in their 30s who are suddenly on uh, ventilators and then they're gone. And I don't want to bring anybody down here, but I personally have a friend who's now a client, 40 year old fiance, it's gone. And this is happening. There are, yeah. the numbers are big. Now, luckily you and I live in places where they've been smart and our rates yep. of infection have gone down significantly. But in the South, I mean, the West, it's just, it's like fire through dry grass. It's just bad. So I'm just throwing it out there that you and I do that kind of work. We're busy. There's other stuff you do, though, that I admire tremendously. And that is you're a zealous advocate uh, for suicide prevention. I am. And I I'd am. love you to talk about that with me. Sure. Yeah. So I lost my brother uh, seven years ago now um, to suicide. He uh, was a Manhattanite, uh, lived in the city, um, you know, loved it. He was a fashion designer. Um, you know, he was, he was my baby Handsome brother. Handsome guy. Handsome oh, guy. thank you. Yeah. He, 
Yeah, he got the looks. Um, yeah. Please. <laughs> Don't make me say you're attractive and now oh, I'm on no, a podcast no, and people are stop. gonna You're fine. You're um, oh well thank you. Um so yeah, I mean it's always been an issue that's important to me. Um for the past year, a little over a year now, um I've been volunteering with the Samaritans, um, taking working on their crisis line, taking calls, and now since the virus um has hit, I've um been handling their text, um, one of the volunteers that handles their text line. I was also on going, well, I still am on their Boston Marathon team for this year um, and raised a, a good chunk of change for, um, for the organization. Unfortunately, we won't be running it as we envisioned, but um, I still plan on running virtually in September in some fashion, so. I've heard of people doing this with other marathons where you're basically gonna just, even if you, if you don't do the actual course, you'll do some kind of course that's the length of a marathon. And some people, I suppose, will do the course because they, if they don't do Heartbreak Hill, they feel like they didn't do the marathon, which as somebody who is religiously opposed to running for myself, I don't understand, but God bless you. I, I, can I tell you really quickly, when I lived in Natick, Massachusetts, I was after 9-11, one of my uh, college friends was a fireman and, and died in the towers. I had another friend who died in a plane. And I thought somehow that running the marathon in support of them and raising money would be a great idea. Um, I was fit enough, but I was not a runner. And um, I started running and I was working with a trainer. And I had an eight mile run one day in the bitter Natick cold, like there was snow and ice on the ground. I was yeah. wearing a lot of stuff, including that thing you wear around your neck and your face. And I, you know, I look like an alien and I ran <laughs> eight miles uh, or jogged eight miles or moved quickly eight miles. And yeah. I came home and I was like, oh, this sucks. And I did the math and I realized <laughs> I didn't even do a third of a marathon. Right. right. So instead, I wrote a one man comedy show to raise money. <laughs> so do what you're good at. Right, whatever works. Yes, I am obvious. I am not a runner. Um, I okay. ha I have you from? Haven't you yes. done? Yeah, I've done a marathon. Yeah, I did the Marine Corps marathon um, in 2018. Um, but I mean, overall, I'm more of a oh, I am more of a couch girl. This like, <laughs> and if you not to have to do activity, that's more me. Um, and every week I'm like, oh, you know, now it's now we're on oh, 12 weeks to, you know, when we're going to run the marathon. I probably, you know, I think I'm up to like six. <laughs> probably we should work on that. <laughs> Even though it's, you know, a million degrees out, I'm, you know. Yeah, it's a pretty hot one today. Yeah. I, yeah, it's bad. I do, I walk briskly in the mornings uh, by the water where I live. And nice. so I try to do like four or five miles every morning, just getting a, a walk in. Part of it is I go to my favorite coffee place. Nice. And sometimes they have also acai and fruit bowls. So I you know, have my little reward at the end of my walk. Uh, <laughs> but even at that hour, I'm seeing people running and it's hot and they are sweaty. And I feel like I want to stop them and go, please take care of yourself. Are you hydrating? I'm right, channeling, exactly. I'm channeling my mother. Are you, are you, you look very thin to me. You should have something to eat. <laughs> right. Where's your water bottle? You should have water with you at all times. Oh, Does your mother know you're out here? <laughs> right. 
Yeah, so uh, yes. I fight I, that though. I, I don't say that. Yes, and, and my mother does know I'm out there and actually one year gave me um, <laughs> this little metal clip that goes on like those rubber bracelets with, um, you know, with my name, my date of birth, and then her information in case I like pass out on the side of the road or something. I was like, like, wow, thanks for the confidence, mom. Like, <laughs> like you're her cat and she kicked you. Yes. <laughs> She's like, you know, I just worry. I said, no, I know it's, it, it came from the heart, but it was just one of the funnier gifts I've ever received. I was like, I'm not really sure how to take this, but okay. <laughs> well, I guess it's nice to be loved. Yeah. <laughs> She's worried about me. I mean, you know, and I always say to her, there's a reason I only run on main roads around here because, you know, I mean, I, I live in Dorchester. There's a, you know, fairly decent, you know, police presence at all times kind of driving around. So, you know, I'm like, I would certainly hope that if I kind of just collapsed, you know, somebody would pull over and, you know, maybe call somebody. I don't know. <laughs> I it's funny. Dorchester is one of those places, like many places in Boston, in the greater Boston area, that have so many different neighborhoods within a neighborhood. Yes. So you have large, beautiful mansion-like homes, yes. and you also have projects mm -hmm. and everything in between, which yeah. actually, I enjoy living in a place where it's a mix of and a variety of people. Yes. And I feel like that's something that we have in common because I know you do too. And, I do. Uh, and it's good because it reminds us that it's not all about us. <laughs> right. That is very true. That is very true. I mean, just to your point, I mean, even, even my street is um, like the up towards the top of my street are all million dollar homes, big, beautiful houses. I know there's a judge that lives, you know, I mean, it's, and then you, you know, you hit the bottom of the street headed out to the other way and it's smaller single families or, three families. Um, myself, I, I live in a three family. Um, Do they you know, still call those trinities? Oh, no, I've never heard that. Oh, in Somerville, that's the place I've heard. They, they're trinities. They're like three stories and each story has its a separate family. So it's yep. probably, I think they call yeah. them trinities because let's face it, it's all Catholic in there. And they right. just went with Trinity because like, <laughs> hey, hello, Catholic. Probably, yeah, no, that's probably solid, solid, but yeah, no, and I, and I love my, even just, you know, my street has such a wide mix of, you know, age, you know, race, background, um, it's just, you know, it's a cool little place to be, so. Is there something, if people are interested in being involved in the Samaritans or other aspects of suicide prevention, is there a number or an entity or whatever you would recommend them contact? Yeah, I think, I mean, if you just Google Samaritans, um, their main website has um, a whole section on volunteering and what different options um, people have. You can do what I do on the crisis line. There are also people that, I mean, I think now during COVID things, I'm not sure how they kind of have things set up, but they used to have people that would go out um, and meet with survivors one-on-one um, -on -one, people that might not be comfortable you know coming into a, like a support group but they you know want someone to talk to um, Samaritans also do run you know support groups uh, for survivors and um, yes I can try, I'm trying to find I, I just want to say I admire the fact that you take what obviously had to be an incredibly painful experience and instead of folding in on yourself you look for ways to be of service. That seems to be, frankly, who you are, Jessica. Aww. And I think it's one of the reasons that I really like you and we've stayed in contact 
you know, there's lots of, I interact with lots of attorneys who are trial attorneys. The case doesn't go the way the client wanted for whatever reason. And then I'm the appellate guy. And you're one of the few attorneys who was beyond cooperative. You really wanted me to win uh, with whatever was happening. And also you really wanted your client to succeed. Yes. And I feel like you're just one of those awesome people that I wanted to have on the podcast. So I'm so glad you came. I want people to see that, like, you know, there are people like you out there. Thank basically. you. I try. <laughs> and it's always the people like you who are like, oh, am I doing enough? And then there's other people who are like, uh, I'm going to eat the sandwich. And uh, that's all I'm about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that picture came into my head. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so funny. That's so funny. I can't. I can't. I just just find for the, for the National Suicide Prevention Helpline, um, which also has a chat function as well. That's 800-273-8255. That's awesome. And I'm just going to let people know if they want more information. Uh, heck, they can go to my website, which is is that reallylegal.com. And they can, there's a place to contact me and I will either give them that information or, you know, we'll, we'll find a way to make sure that people can be supported and support Absolutely. other people. And if there's Just, any, anything on behalf of Samaritans that I can provide you or, you know, if I can help you in any way get information out, you know, don't ever hesitate to ask. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that's really all the time that I, I feel like now we should go hang out. But unfortunately, right. we Let's both have a, we have a lot of stuff to do. Um, but we should. When I'm back in town, maybe I can make that happen because I think I would we would that. have a good time. Uh, I love you, Jessica. Please take care of yourself. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're awesome. Thank you for having me and, and take care. I wish you and Holly all the best. Be safe, be well, and I hope to see you in person soon. So that was Jessica Tripp. I'm so glad she was able to join me and talk to us about such important things and speak so candidly and heartfeltly. And, and she's funny, and uh, I'm glad you got to know her. Uh, so thanks. We have more interesting, fascinating, wonderful people uh, all lined up. Um, also, enjoy Abe's Muffins and let me know how you are enjoying them. Drop me a line. Let them know how you're enjoying them. Let them know you heard about them on this show. And you can leave notes for me for Abe's Muffins uh, at isthatreallylegal.com. We'd love to hear from you, see how you're enjoying the show, how you're enjoying the muffins, and uh, just be in touch because we are all still isolated. It would be great to have communication. So uh, thanks for joining us this week, and I look forward to hearing from you and seeing you next week. Bye-bye.